Okay. And thank you to our praise team. They were down at Jason today. And uh, they did a great job, didn't they? I appreciate them so much. They are here week in and week out practicing and then here with us on Sunday morning. So we appreciate y'all's ministry among us. Um, again, I trust that you had a happy 4th of July. Um, we are in week five of our series on the book of Proverbs. We're walking through the book of Proverbs here during the summer months. And today I was kind of hunting through and, and digging into the scriptures this past week and looking for something that would kind of connect to the theme of Independence Day. And what I came up with was there's a lot of verses that speak directly to the king, that is to the national leader, to the president, as it were, in our country. And so I thought, well, there maybe there's something there. And so got to hunting on it. And so y'all get to benefit from that. Hopefully it has something to do with your life. Um, our, our text today comes from Proverbs 31. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5. And as is our custom, I'm going to ask for you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 through 5. Again, we stand week in and week out just to remind ourselves over and over, because we need to do this, that this is where truth comes from, that it doesn't matter what somebody else's opinion is, doesn't matter what you heard on the radio or what you heard on TV. If those opinions are out of step with what's in here, friends, and we go with what's in here, right? amen? All right, so we stand each week to remind, be reminded of that. Proverbs chapter 31, let's read verses 1 through 5. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. You may be seated. Um, so this is part of our text for today that we're going to consider, but because of the nature of Proverbs, you've got to popcorn around a little bit to gather all, that it, all the nuggets that it has to a certain particular topic. And so we're going to start at a different place and then wind up where we just read. Okay, so we're going to, I'm going to ask you to flip over or follow on the screen with us um, to Proverbs chapter 16. And again, these are words from the book of Proverbs, biblical advice written for, specifically for, national leaders. So again, in our context here in America, that would be our president. So these are words from Scripture written to President Donald Trump. You follow me? All right, whoever the president happens to be at the time. Proverbs chapter 16, beginning at verse 10, it says, An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. So this verse tells us, or tells the national leader, that that person should have honest judgment that they are to call things as they are, not as they wish things to be, but as things really are. Verse 11 gives us a specific example of how they are to call the shots. It says that a just balance and scales are the Lord's, and all the weights in the bag are his work. Um, balance and scales back in biblical times are what they used to use measurements of gold and silver. So this is how somebody would get paid. And so a balance in scales, if, if some of the local bankers or some of the local finance guys would kind of cheat a little bit, and so somebody wouldn't get paid the full day's wages that they were supposed to get paid. They wouldn't get paid all that they were supposed to get paid for their services or for their goods. And so it was a way for them, notorious back then, for them to try and cheat people out of giving them all that was due. Such practices, it says, in the eyes of the king should be considered, verse 12, an abomination, an act of evil. So the king, if he's knowing that this kind of thing is going on, should look upon this and say, hey, look, this is wrong. We're going to have to cut this out. It says that, the, that the, um, these evil actions should be considered an abomination, an act of evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. And that last little phrase tells us something here. That last little phrase um, says, for the throne, this, it's basically the seat of judgment, 
is established by God for the purpose of righteousness. That's what this scripture is telling us. God is saying that I didn't put you in that seat, Mr. President or Mr. Prime Minister or, or Miss Queen or whoever it was. I didn't put you in that seat of governance to cheat people. I didn't put you in that seat of leadership so that you can enrich yourself. God is saying that he put the president in his or her position for the purpose of issuing righteousness, for the purpose of issuing justice, for the purpose of issuing fairness to all of the subjects of that land. The throne is established by righteousness. So point number one is that the good book is advising national leaders to do justice, to use their high office for the purpose of bringing about fair treatment of its citizens, that the government is supposed to aid its citizens, not to harm them, supposed to prosper them, not to injure them, or to treat them cruelly. Number two, second word of advice to national leaders from the book of Proverbs is to avoid special interest money. You say, really? Is that really in there? No, not exactly those phrasing, but that concept is right here in the book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 29 and verse 4. It says, by justice, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears down. Now, in the original Hebrew language there, that word gifts is translated in other places in Scripture as the word contribution. For example, over in Exodus chapter 25, God says to Moses, he says, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution or a gift. I'm looking for that from them. Verse 3, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. You can receive gold from them, you can receive silver from them, or you can receive bronze from them. So Moses was trying to gather up gold, silver, and bronze so that he could create these furnishings that were going to go inside of the tabernacle, this place where God would come and dwell in the midst of his people. And so God says to Moses, go to the people, gather from among them gifts, contributions that are going to be used to make these furnishings. And now fast forward to the days of King Solomon, and Solomon, um, it had become a practice to take up periodic collections from the people. However, when these gifts or these contributions to the king had pay-to-play strings attached, the Bible advises to stay away, Solomon, from that kind of money, and certainly not to require it. So the result of special interest money, verse 4, back in Proverbs says, will tear down the land. So the advice from Scripture, number two, is for national leaders to avoid special interest money. Number three is for them, if, you wanna, uh, if they want advice from Scripture for national leaders, is to seek wise counsel. Proverbs 25 and verse 4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. So if a silversmith is wanting to make a particular vessel, wanting to make a particular item, they would take the silver ore, the raw ore, and they would heat that stuff up to liquid form. And then when that happens, all the dross or the, or the, the stuff they don't want bubbles up to the surface, and they skim that off the surface. And so then they have pure silver that they would use to make the vessel with. Verse 5 says, Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and get rid of those people, and his throne will be established in righteousness. So the idea here is that you bring wise counsel in around the, around the king, and by doing that, um, you're skimming off you know, the people who, would seek to, who have other agenda in mind. Um, the president does not need to be surrounded by people filled with bloodlust who always want to march off to war. The president does not need counselors around him, surrounded people who are gold diggers, who are um, only wanting to enrich themselves and their friends. The president needs people surrounding him, people whose sole agenda is to ask the question, what is in the best interest of the people of this country whom we serve? And then a follow-up question that is, how can we help bring glory to God through our government? Counselors like that will ensure 
that the throne is established in righteousness. Number four, and this brings us to the verses that we read just a few moments ago, Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 1. It says, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that is from his, that his mother taught him. Um, nobody knows for sure who King Lemuel is. Um, some scholars have suggested this is a nickname for Solomon. So Solomon's actually the one that's being spoken about here, and his mother would be Bathsheba, right? And so these are words from Bathsheba to Solomon, or perhaps it was a foreign king that Solomon knew, and he really liked what this king had passed along to him, some words of wisdom, and so he included that here in the pages of Scripture. Either way, Solomon shares it with us, and so he says, verse 2, what, um, or his mother says, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Friends, if your mom comes up alongside of you and she says, what are you doing? Probably a pretty good idea that you're doing something wrong. Probably a pretty good idea that your behavior's gotten a little bit out of line or that some of your priorities have, need to be readjusted. Um, verse three, here's what it was that he was doing wrong. Verse three, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy King. So again, what is it that Lemuel, perhaps Solomon, was doing? Well, he was going around chasing women. He was running around after girls. And his mama says, hey, son, you need to cut this out. You need to knock this off. If you go doing this and you go pursuing the women everywhere you go, it'll steal away your strength. It'll steal away your fitness for leadership. You won't be able to govern the people of this land. You see, friends, if a person is sexually immoral, the Bible says, if a man cannot control his sexual desires, then how can he lead a nation? And so number four here from the scriptures, advice from scriptures to a national leader is to avoid sexual immorality. What strikes me as really interesting is that Solomon is actually the one sharing this with us. Um, he's the king. He's the one making this proverb and sharing it with publicly. Think about that for a minute. If Solomon, if Lemuel is Solomon, then Solomon is saying, y'all know about some of my exploits, right? And he's, he's indicting himself publicly. He's apologizing to the nation of Israel publicly for some of his exploits. Um, or if perhaps this is not actually Solomon, if Lemuel was some king far off, Solomon is putting himself on record that this is the kind of behavior that you, that I won't, uh, you won't see me engaging in. And so he's putting himself on record one way or the other. Either if it was him or it wasn't him, he's saying, hey, look, this is the kind of behavior that you will not see from me as your king. Solomon draws a line in the sand for his own personal conduct. All right, one more, one more word of advice for national leaders. Number one was to bring about justice for your people. Number two was don't take special interest money, pay to play money. Number three was to get wise counsel. And number four, to avoid sexual immorality. And then number five is to be a teetotaler. For real. And it actually says this here in the scriptures. Look at Proverbs chapter 31 and verse four. Uh, more words from mom. She says, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Now, does she say that Lemuel can't have strong drink, that he can't have a glass of wine? No, she doesn't say that. She's not prohibiting him from doing it. But her advice is, Lemuel, that you should stay away from. As the president of the country, as the king of the, of the country, as the prime minister of this land, you ought to stay away from strong drink. And here's why. Verse 5, last verse, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. So you're sitting there, you got a little sauced up, and then you make some decision, and next thing you know, you wake up the next morning, and you're going, oh, big uh-oh, right? And so she's, she's um, encouraging him against that. I just happened this past week to catch part of, or the last part of that movie, Churchill. I don't know if any of you saw that. It came out a couple of years ago, and so I was just watching through this. And the movie, at least, depicts Churchill as a guy who really likes scotch. 
Um, and so he really liked to have a drink, and he was drinking through the day. And there were times during World War II when the war was going on, and there was a lot of critical decisions that needed to be made, and Churchill was uh, inebriated. Churchill was off uh, in his room someplace, and he was passed out, or he wasn't really, didn't have all of his faculties about him. And so the advice from Scripture for leaders, people like Winston Churchill and others, is to avoid strong drink, to avoid alcohol that you're making big decisions on a daily basis, perhaps even at a moment's notice, when you don't know when that decision's coming. So you need to make sure that you've got all your faculties about you and that you're prepared to be able to make that decision. Lemuel's mother says, verse 5, lest you drink and forget what you decided, what you decreed. All right, so there you have some advice from Scripture for national leaders. Y'all say, pretty good. All right, let's close up the book and let's have a prayer and head home. Well, no, we got that question we got to ask. It's the question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? Stay, Gordon, I've been sitting here listening to you preach for several years, and I've heard you ask that question week in and week out. And I've often wondered some of the times when you were preaching, uh, where are you going to go with that one? How is it? What difference is it going to make to my life? And this morning, I got to tell you, I'm really wondering, right? I mean, unless I'm running for the president of the United States, I don't know what, what does any of this have to do with my life? Well, that's a really great question. Let's see if we can answer that. You know, there's an old proverb, it's not a biblical proverb, but it's an old proverb, and it says these words. It says, if the gold rusts, what shall the iron do? If the gold rusts, what shall the iron do? In other words, if those at the top, if the leaders fail, if the gold fails, then the rest of us are toast. You see, our well-being, whether we like it or not, is directly tied to the health, the behavior, the decisions of those at the top, of those who are making decisions on behalf of us, on behalf of our country. Um, as citizens of this country, then, the actions and behaviors both on and off the field of our president are directly tied to our own well-being. When the gold rusts, what shall the rest of us, what's going to happen to the rest of us, right? What shall the iron do? So with that concern in mind, I want to give us some things that we can do that will help bolster the leadership of our country. And these are things that come straight out of the Scripture. So I'm not giving you some partisan uh, talk here today or some partisan sermon. I'm just sharing you with you directly from what God's Word has to say and how we can bolster, how we can support our national leader, in particular our president. Number one, the first thing that we can do from the Scriptures is to pray for our president, to pray for a president. Paul writes these words, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. He writes to Timothy, he says, first of all, I urge you, Timothy, that supplications and prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. Verse 2, he gets real specific. He says, that includes kings and all who are in high positions so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul tells Timothy right here in the scriptures, and it's a, it's, a, it's, an, it's a command for you and I as well, that we are to be praying for our national leaders, that we're to be praying for our president. I had a girl in one of my classes several months back ago, maybe six months ago or something like that, and she made a comment while we were all in, populated in my, team, in my uh, computer screen, and we had a live class going on, and she made some comment about the negative comment about the president, we need to pray for him. And so I got an email the next morning, and it was in my inbox, and it's, she was just apologizing, saying, you know, I didn't mean to be political. I, I, I'm sorry for my comment. And I emailed her back, and I said, hey, you know what? Um, I pray for our president every day, almost every day, because the Scriptures ask us to. I said, that means that I prayed for President Obama. 
and that I pray for President Trump. It doesn't matter who the president is or what political party or affiliation they have or what decisions that they're making. My responsibility as a believer, I'm commanded here in the scriptures, is to pray for our national leaders. Friends, we need to pray for our president. Scripture commands us to do that. Um, number two, second way that we can bolster or support our national leaders is to respect the office of the presidency. To respect the office of the presidency. Um, Proverbs 24 and verse 21 says these words. It says, my son, fear the Lord and, don't just stop there, the king. Fear the Lord and the king, the national leader. Friends, to show fear of God is not just to run around with our, biting on our, 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 what do you call these things? Fingernails, right? Biting on our fingernails, but that we're literally showing respect. We're showing reverence for God, that we're showing respect and reverence for the office of the president as well. This is a command given to us in Scripture. Um, today, athletes won't even attend the White House after a championship win. They boycott the president because of partisan beliefs, and the media and activists celebrate that and applaud that as though they're doing some grand service to the rest of the country. Friends, that is not showing respect. Years ago, the press treated the office of the president with great respect. They always waited until he finished speaking before asking the next question. Now they're like a pack of wolves surrounding him, shouting at him, arguing with him from the press corps. Guys like Jim Acosta from CNN treating press briefings like they're a reality TV show. Everyone is jockeying to see who can disrespect the president first and who can disrespect the president the worst. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 13 says, Righteous lips, people who speak truth respectfully, are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. Friends, contrary to what public opinion may be out there today, public figures um, are to be shown respect, and that is commanded of us here in the scriptures. We are to get along with the president. We are to fear, to show respect to the president. This is the counsel, right, of God's holy word. Number three, and finally, a third way that we can support and bolster the leader of our nation, is to get involved in government matters such as running for political office. You say, Gordon, hold on just a second, time out. What in the world are you talking about? How do you get out of the scriptures this idea that Christians should be running for political office? If anything, it seems like I've heard over the years that Christians ought to hold back and pull back from public office. Well, friends, is that the story, the picture that we get in scripture? Um, how about Joseph? Think about Joseph for an example in the Old Testament. As prime minister of the Egyptian empire, Joseph had tremendous influence over the leader of the Egyptian nation. The prophet Jeremiah instructed the exiled Israelites who were living in Babylon at the time not to go to war against their captors. Instead, he said, Jeremiah 29 and verse 7, to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you, pray to the Lord on its behalf, on behalf of the Babylonian people, Pray for the government, for it's in its welfare you will find your own welfare. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king, a position of high importance to King Artaxerxes of Persia. Mordecai became the prime minister of Persia under King Ahasuerus. Queen Esther was Ahasuerus's wife. A Jewish woman became the wife of, this, of, of the Persian king and had significant influence over his decisions. Not to mention King David himself, who was the head of the government. Not the head of the priesthood, but the head of the government. God was deeply involved in the government of his people. 
Um, Moses gave the law, um, and the law didn't just include ceremonial rules. It didn't just include moral law, like don't steal, uh, obey your parents. Um, it also included a civil portion of the law. And the civil portion of the law was my cow walks over onto your property. My cow got hurt. How are we going to make amends for this, right? Or, or if you stole from me, what sorts of repercussions are the government going to bring down on your head because you stole from me? And so we see all through Scripture this idea that God wants us to be deeply involved in the government of, of his people. Um, you know, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, he told us to go into all the world, right, the Great Commission, and preach the gospel. And so somehow as Christians, we've got this idea in our mind that we're just supposed to be about evangelism, that we're just supposed to be going out and telling people about Jesus. But remember what it says there in that text. It says, verse 20, teaching the citizens of those nations to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. So go beyond just evangelism, go beyond just the message of the cross, go beyond just this idea that you can have your sins forgiven and go to heaven, but instruct them in all the things that Jesus taught them, and that includes how we live in a civil society together. So the idea that Christians should not be involved in government, that idea is completely contrary, ignores so much of what we read in the Old Testament. It is a very narrow view of Scripture that looks only to the cross, only to the forgiveness of sins, and ignores the rest of human experience. Friends, being involved in the government, whether by holding a position within the government like Joseph and Mordecai and Daniel and King David, or by speaking out against evil practices like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Habakkuk and Amos and Ezekiel, and I could go on and on and on. Friends, that kind of activity is up and down all through the pages of Scripture. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. Amen? All right, thinking about it still. All right, so there, ha- there you have three ways that you and I can support our national leader by praying for him, by showing respect for and getting along with the office of the president, and third and finally, by getting involved in government matters, such as running for political office. Now, to close this out, I want to remind you of one thing. Proverbs 21 and verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and God turns it, turns the heart of the king, turns the heart of the president, turns the heart of the prime minister, the leader of the nation. He turns his heart wherever God wills. You see, friends, despite how you may feel about the political scene at this moment in time or how you might feel about it 10 years from now, God is in control. God is in charge. And that's what that scripture reminds us of, that God turns the heart of the national leader wherever God wills. Friends, don't ever think that when it comes to presidents and kings and prime ministers that those folks are acting arbitrarily, that they are acting independently of God's will. The Bible teaches us that God uses the kings of the world to accomplish his agenda. Corey Ten Boom shared this quote. I'll share it with you here in a second. She was um, a lady who was trying to help folks escape uh, Nazi Germany, Jewish people who were being thrown into concentration camps. She ended up in a concentration camp herself. She was found out, discovered that she was helping people. They threw her in there as well. And so here's what she says along these lines. She says, there is no panic in heaven, only plans. There's nothing going on in our world, friends, that God did not see coming. He holds the heart of a king in his hand, and he turns it wherever he will. God is in control. Let's pray.
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder today from Scripture that you care about the leader of our nation. Lord, it doesn't matter who we vote for, we know who you put in that position. We know that you are in charge, that you are in control. And Lord, we, are, we find great peace and great comfort in that. That we don't have to walk around feeling glum and discouraged. We don't have to walk around feeling great because things are going the way we think it ought to go. But Lord, we just know we have a biblical perspective, a perspective that teaches us that you are in charge, that you are in control. And we're so thankful for that. Now we pray for our president today as you instruct us to, that you would grant him wise counsel, that you would bring people around him, Lord, that would speak wisdom into his decisions that he's making on our behalf as a nation. We pray, Lord, that you would prosper him, Lord, that your hand would be with him. And Lord, as we turn our attention now to this table, we're reminded that we have a king, a king that is not elected, a king that is not temporary but a king for all of eternity. And Lord, when you return someday here to this earth, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you, Jesus, are Lord. We celebrate what you did on our behalf in order to take your throne, David's throne, one day. We pray all these things in Christ's holy name.